You know, one of my favorite movies is shown this time of year. I remember from being a little kid, always watching it and getting a chance, first in movie theaters and then on TV. It's the Ten Commandments, the one with Chuck Heston as Moses and Yul Brenner as Ramses. Now, I know it's a little dated in some of the special effects and things on there, but they still are pretty cool to see, to see a pillar of fire where God is in it and to watch the parting of the Red Sea, to see the plagues that take place, to see the finger of God right the Ten Commandments. One of the scenes also that they did in that was Mount Sinai with the smoke and the fire on it. I want to show you a picture of that on the screens. Kind of a terrible scene, something that looks really scary. But it's even more scary if you hear in the Scriptures what's being described in this. And I want to read that to you in Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Basically, touch the mountain, get too close, and you die. It was that simple. That was the Lord's warning to his chosen people. It wasn't that God was playing favorites, saying Moses is the only one who can come up on the mountain. It was the simple thing that God was saying to the people, I am holy, I am perfect, and in my presence sin cannot exist Humankind cannot exist. Sin must either be consumed or destroyed. So don't come near this mountain. A terrible seed, a frightful thing to think even if you slipped and touched the mountain, you might die. Well, fast forward a couple of thousand years from this event to a group of religious people, people who are kind of separatists, people who call themselves Pharisees. They believe that how you stay holy then in order to be in the presence of God was to follow the law. They were experts in the law. We hear that again and again in the scriptures. Experts who followed every dot, every line, every notion that they could find who made other laws around the main laws just to make sure that no one ever sinned. They thought holiness was found there. And those who weren't like them, those who were different, those who didn't keep the law, they had names for those people. They looked on them with disdain to stay away from them, never to come near them, never to touch them. God could never accept them. God only could accept us, the holy ones, the Pharisees. You know, we might call them in our day and age sin snobs in the way that they look down on other people. What's a sin snob, you may be saying? 
Well, someone wrote about that saying this, a sin snob maybe in our day and age would be the thief who can't imagine in his mind that someone would ever murder. Or maybe it's the adulterer in our day and age who can't imagine that someone would ever steal. Or maybe it's the gossiper who can't imagine that someone would ever commit adultery. That's how they looked at other people. Jesus would use the words to describe them in his Sermon on the Mount when he would say, these are those who have a plank in their own eye while they're trying to pick out a speck of sawdust in somebody else's. No one was exempt from their gaze, their severity, their judgment on them. Not even Jesus. There's a time in Matthew's gospel when Jesus came to his house to eat, and it says this in Matthew 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You see, to have a meal in those days with someone was to identify with them, to be with them, to be in an intimate situation. And to the Pharisees, to sit in that meal with sinners and tax collectors, in their mind, was to condone what they were doing. They couldn't imagine somebody doing that, especially not the new rabbi Jesus on the scene. That's not what they would do. They would never go to dinner at someone's house like that. They made sure when they ate a meal, it was with prominent people. It was with important people. It was with people in their mind that were holy people, not sinners, not tax collectors, not the lowest of the low and the dregs of society. And they thought Jesus would act the same way. But there he is, having a meal, sitting down with people who certainly aren't holy. Well, Jesus responds to their question in the following words. On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You know, the righteous is what Jesus is saying are those who truly don't think they have sinned. Jesus is saying, I didn't come for those people. I came for those who know they are sinners. Blaise Pascal, who you may know as a scientist and the unit of measurement that carries his name, was also a philosopher and also a deep theologian. He makes the following statement as he categorizes people. He said, there are two groups of people in the world. There are the righteous who know they are sinners, and there are sinners who believe they are righteous. What he means is there are those who are made righteous by Christ who know always before them that they are truly sinners only redeemed by the blood of Christ. And there are those who are truly sinners that think by their own right they have made themselves righteous by the things that they have done. The Pharisees were truly the sinners who thought that they were righteous. They stood in the place of God they made judgments on other people, separating themselves, keeping away from them. 
They believed that they were the only ones because of what they did in following the law, that in that picture we saw they could actually touch the holy mountain and live and not die. And Jesus, Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus identified with sinners. Jesus crossed boundaries with sinners. Jesus unified with sinners. Jesus had solidarity with sinners. Truly, he wasn't from God. Truly, he wasn't one of us, they said. So what about us here tonight? Are we the righteous by Christ's blood who know we are sinners? Or do we think we are sinners who by what we do have made ourselves righteous. Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with the outcast and the oppressed. He ate with those who were unclean to touch. He ate with those who were empty. He ate with those who were unloved, who those who were looked down on. We find him again and again and again in the Gospels, reaching out to people who would never be touched by those holy ones, by the righteous. Jesus ate with sinners and still does. Now that doesn't mean that God is not holy. God is always holy in his perfection and demands perfection and sin is still consumed in God's presence or destroyed. But it was Jesus on the cross who absorbed that wrath, who took that punishment on himself. And in fact, the book of Hebrews, using that imagery from Mount Sinai, says the following as he's talking about what we now have in the new covenant that Jesus has brought to us. It says this, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, he's talking about us. We have had the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled on us in the waters of our baptism to make us new, to make us whole, to wash away our sins so that we can come to Mount Zion, the holy mountain of God, to be in the presence of God and not to die, but to live. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors and those who were looked down on, and Jesus still comes to us those that he calls by names, those who know they are sinners in this life but are made righteous only by the blood of Jesus which covers us. Jesus calls us to eat tonight with him in this meal. He comes to be intimate with us, to share with us, to have solidarity with us. 
and to feed us on himself. For Jesus says in John 6, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Jesus comes tonight to eat with sinners, and we come to dine with him, to be fed on the bread that has come down from heaven, to know that he comes to give us life, not death, not destruction, not wrath, but eternal life. To be in our presence, to show us his love and his grace. Will you pray with me? Jesus, how can we thank you that you come tonight to eat once more with sinners? But Lord, your love overflows on us. And your grace surrounds us. Truly we eat the bread come down from heaven, your own body and blood that will nourish and strengthen us and has given us eternal life. May we always come when you set before us this feast. May our hearts always burn to dine with you and be covered in that forgiveness that you won for us on the cross. For you have brought us to this mountain to see you on your throne, to see you in your kingdom. And you have made us a part of it by your death and resurrection. We praise you and we thank you in your name. Amen.